Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. This is UXK. 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 I'm your host, Lee Allen Arredondo. This week, we're talking about augmented humanity, and if you're curious what that means, I hope you'll listen. Technology is changing the way we perceive reality, whether you have some kind of headset on or not, and it's much more than Pokemon Go. In this episode, I'm talking with two brilliant multidisciplinary UX experts on two different sides of the globe about augmented reality, and it takes a few twists and turns, and we cover a lot of ground in this conversation. So Cheryl Lee Ryan, who goes by Chi, is a transdisciplinary design leader in Melbourne who's led UX in a variety of technology spaces around the globe. And Galit Ariel is a transdisciplinary creative and self-proclaimed digital hippie and creative director of the Wonderlands consulting firm in Amsterdam. And she also recently published a book called Augmenting Alice, which is really like a treatise on AR present and future. It's really something. These women are speakers and writers and just generally brilliant conversationalists. And I hope that you enjoy this as much as I did. Well, thank you, Shirley and Galit, for joining me today for UX Cake Podcast. So it's 7 a.m. in Melbourne, and gee, I am imagining you with your cup of coffee waking up at your desk. Is that- I am not at my desk. I am in my bed. Oh, even better. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that what's great about podcasts? You can be wherever. And then 8 p.m. in Amsterdam for you, Galit. Now, what I would like to imagine is you curled up on your couch with a glass of wine, relaxing, but I think you said you're actually in an office. Yeah, I'm in in the office, and the cleaning personnel is looking at me like a mad woman that needs to go home, but (laughs) I will resist. (laughs) Well, good. Then maybe you can curl up on the couch with a glass of wine after this. Meanwhile, it's noon here in Seattle, and I feel like I've totally got the better end of the deal time-wise, so I owe you both extra thanks for that. Before we jump into this really awesome augmented humanity concept and discussion, I have been dying to ask you, since we started this conversation, how did you two meet, and then how did you begin discussing augmented reality? Mm. Do you want to go first? <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll give my version. So I heckled her in a talk that, that she gave. I went to a really great um, meetup uh, that she was giving. And I was just um, busy with editing my book. And she touched on so many things that I was just sitting there waiting for the Q&A. And I think I kind of took over <laughs> uh, from the other people who wanted to ask stuff. And we almost started having a dialogue there that was in Amsterdam and yeah afterwards uh, we tried to meet in person and we never managed to and we kind of found each other again through LinkedIn out of all social platforms and um, started having these online convos that ended up being a lot of uh, 
Skype conversations and chatting and discussing big ideas. That's a pretty good summary. Really? Uh, yeah, we've it, and it's turned into a what I would describe as a romance. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, I was hoping I like to motion into that. I was trying to play cool. <laughs> I have a total creative crush on her, <laughs> but I'm trying to like play it down. But I'm so bad at it, as you can see. All I need is like a bone. Oh, that's great. So you guys have a mutual fan club going. Well, yeah, it's a fan, a fan club of two. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> hey, it's rock band. <laughs> that is also the fan club. Yeah. That's awesome. And so big ideas, that totally um, is a great segue into what we're talking about today, because uh, this idea of augmented humanity, I think, this audience, I think it's safe to say, is familiar with augmented reality. And I'm going to say something here that, Galit, you may disagree mm -hmm. with, which is fine. Okay. Pokemon Go is an example of augmented reality, uh, which is helpful Ooh. to explain. <laughs> yeah, I know. Wait for it. Oh, you're, you're in trouble now. <laughs> you're, you're totally blown it. Um, well, and t you've mentioned this, too, that uh, Pokemon Go is helpful to explain what AR yeah. is, right? But what you're talking about is much more meta. So yeah. how would you define the concept of augmented humanity and how is it different from Pokemon Go? Well, Pokemon Go, you can say, is the lowest life form of augmented reality um, because it does represent some of what augmented reality represents, which is adding digital substance uh, into a physical space. Uh, but there's... Um, a little thing that makes it uh, really different, if, if you think about AR in, in its full potential, which it really needs uh, a high level of interactivity and reactivity to the human actions. Uh, that's what differentiates AR as a platform from simply projecting a movie on a wall, which is digital content put or placed on top of a physical realm. And Pokemon Go could be... Um, perceived as augmented reality because we see these um, creatures, digital creatures within our physical reality, but it's not really reactive. It's more of a geolocated uh, filter that we have some interaction with. Um, the real concept of augmented reality and the potential is much more reactive, much more integrated and blended into our behavior. And can you give us an example of what that would look like or um, feel well, like? Well, Snapchat is actually um, a much better um, impressionation of what it can be or what it is because it, it does, uh, it is reactive in real time to your, um, to the way that you change your facial features, for, exa for example. So it's really reactive in real time to how you change your um, expressions. So what is augmented humanity, which is more than augmented reality? Personally, I think it's important to go back to where I understand the source of the, the term augmented humanity comes from. And um, it, it came about when um, Eric Schmidt, who was the ex-head of Google, um, talked about it in 2011. And what he was talking about was essentially what happens when we use all of the different technologies that we have access to in a way that 
they are insert, inserted into your life and they become almost like extrasensory components. So they're so embedded in what you do that they actually feel like they're part of you is essentially what that means. And if you think about the term augmented humanity, it, it makes sense because what we're really talking about is how we add to the augmentation, making something better using technology um, that fits into our lives, right? So that's that's where that term augmented humanity comes from. And a way that you could describe it would be um, technology that enhances our most human attributes, right? So that's a that's a way that you could describe what what Eric Schmidt was talking about. But I think also what's very interesting that Glitz said before is that if AR as we know it, for example, Pokemon Go is the lowest form of augmented reality now, yeah. then augmented humanity as we know it right now is an absolute bottom feeder because we're nowhere near where we need to be to actually be able to augment humanity in the way that mm. some people speculate that it may happen. Mm. Yeah. So I've read articles predicting that since technology can't replace everything human, like empathy or compassion or creativity, that that means the future of augmented humanity means technology would would enable us to utilize more of the best of our humanity. So technology is taking care of the mundane tasks so we humans can be more compassionate and creative. That sounds like a pretty rosy picture. Uh, <laughs> if only it was true. <laughs> what are your thoughts on that? I think um, this this picture that we, we keep hearing about um, how much uh, leisure time we'll have, I think I just saw, saw something uh, that says, hey, it's going to, you know, AI is going to provide us um, longer holidays. Um, these are all emotional hooks that are designed in a way to calm our nerves about how we might be replaced by technology. And right now I find that the trend is kind of like, don't worry, technology is only going to take the boring stuff out of us. And then we'll be like, jumping in the prairies with nothing to do in our hands and just having, you know, income coming from magical places and we'll just be <laughs> happy and fluffy and everything will be wonderful versus the machines are going to take over um, and our jobs, you know, and people will be, will be outdated and their skills are going to be outdated. And I always believe in the balancing act of things. I believe it's something that will be in between. I think we're rushing to develop technologies without fully understanding and comprehending the implications of it because we kind of can and we can't anticipate, you know, what will happen fully. Right. And to your earlier point, which is that, okay, it's, it's going to give us so much more time or, you know, make everything so much easier or we get to do the fun stuff and the technology gets to take take all the boring, unfun stuff. Um, Galit, in your book, you talk about how humans have always been looking for ways to augment their reality because reality, like, you know, let's face it, can be kind of boring and unpleasant. Yeah. <laughs> so you have a, a great quote from Jane McGonigal about why augmented reality is better than, you know, plain old reality. 
reality wasn't designed from the bottom up to make us happy. Yeah. Right. So augmented reality is, is augmented reality just another way we interact with technology or does it have the capacity to have the kind of major impact on our social structures that smartphones and social media have had, for example, by changing what we define as real? Definitely. It's, it's, a mechanism that might be applied in order to indeed amplify or change or modify reality, which is actually something that sounds really great, but also has very deep implications. Because if we keep using technology to override the complexities that we have in life or the hardships, yeah, I don't know if this is not altering altogether the human experience. We're just creating a la-la land that we try to escape, but it doesn't necessarily make us happier or feel more connected in a profound level. And we see it a little bit from social media where we're supposed to be super connected and have this amazing access to everything. And meanwhile, in the UK, they just appointed the Minister of Loneliness because it's becoming a real social problem. They, They have a government official to deal with it with this crisis in the most connected Western society on earth. So wait, what, what is that person's title again? It's the minister of loneliness. Oh my goodness. I love it. Yeah. But doesn't it seem a bit more like, like, uh, augmented unreality because, you know, if if we, if we think about the lowest, the lowest, well, not the lowest forms of of technology, but the low, like the, the forms of, of um, augmentation that we're using frequently now. So let's just aim for one. Um, We'll go for social media. We're creating unrealistic views of ourselves. We we create an augmentation of ourselves essentially on social media. Um, You can make whatever you want. I mean, you know, I hate to bring him up, but but, you know, there's a certain president who will remain nameless, who, you know. Well, he's not nameless, but that's fine. I, <laughs> no, I don't you, blame you for not wanting to say his name. Yeah, because I, I, I hear I if you say, say it three times in front of a <laughs> Oh, boy. <laughs> Do not. I don't, I don't even want to know. I really don't. Well, you know, there's people who are making businesses out of, literally businesses out of, you know, fakeness um, and and taking advantage of that. and you know, it, it becomes, you know, something, something else entirely. It's, it's actually not, it's not actually reality at all. It's, it's, no. it's unreality. It's the opposite of reality. It's a perfected <laughs> version that has nothing to do with what is actually happening. But is that in the hands of the creators of products, whether it be Facebook or this perfect augmented reality of the future? I mean, surely humans have to take some sort of responsibility for their own, you know, desire to uh, enhance their reality, right? Absolutely, it's absolutely the responsibility of the creators to consider the impact of what they do. There's no other way around it, and and you know, it's it's a it's it's a difficult, you know, this is this is the the ethical conundrum that comes yeah. up, right? Because you know, by default, our designers inherently unethical the question really is you know if we're the ones who are making all of this stuff surely it's our responsibility I mean and 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 by deference um you know whoever we're making it for but ultimately if we make something even if it's for you know an unscrupulous organization you know is it is it their responsibility or is it ours because realistically as designers we should be 
we should be making the 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 argument for why it's not going to be beneficial in certain scenarios. Yeah. And let's talk about some scenarios that it is positive, right? Because there are there is real value that this can bring to say education or uh, healthcare, for example. Well, it it can bring value to any part of our like any technology can bring value to to any part of our lives. Um, it's just a matter of taking accountability as content creators, but also of, of, as users and as policymakers understanding what happens and what might happen in real time and correcting it when it goes wrong, because we can't avoid mistakes. Um, and really asking the, the big question, why are we making it? And that's a question that a lot of content makers and technologists fail to ask in a really profound way. And this is something that re- is really scary because most technology is done because we can. And there is a perception that technology is a thing that happens elsewhere. You know, it happens behind the screen and, you know, because we feel we can control it, then the repercussions of abusing it is a lot of the time put on the user. And there is a tendency to, to look at technology in the digital world as something fake because it's not organic or natural. But if somebody is experiencing and reacting to a technology in a certain way, it is real for them. It is part of their experience and reality. So it's regardless of how it's implemented, it's really a matter of implementing it in a way that is really meaningful and useful and isn't just there to replace what already exists, but builds on it and makes it better. And how do we as practitioners of UX, how do we ensure that? Up until fairly recently, we put technology first. So we've often been in such a rush to create new technologies. We've been led by the technology themselves. But now we need to switch that. And the way I just like to describe it is um, psychology before technology. So we need to think about the way that people behave and the way that they think about the world around them. And, you know, not just the things that they use, but the way they live their lives before we start to apply a technology in a particular a particular situation, the question in my mind is not about necessarily how to um, how designers can apply these technologies now to whatever they're doing. It's yeah. about how they can continue the work that they need to do on the things that currently don't work the way that they mm. should in support of those new technologies that are coming. Because if they don't if we as designers don't collectively take responsibility for the things that are not working now, yeah. how can we possibly make another layer on top of that that is going to be broken as well? So, you know, that's that's where I think designers really need to put their energy is preparing to make sure that we have a great foundation for the future. Yeah. And also to try and focus in designing for humans again, not just for other designers. And remember that, you know, there is so many individuals that are left behind uh, that are being snubbed because, you know, they're not tech savvy or they don't get the interface. Uh, Rather than creating something more inclusive, it seems that there is a rush to bring a more cutting edge, a different interface and, and a constant chase of 
the new technology. And, and it scares the hell out of a lot of people, rightfully so, because they're not catching up with the old stuff and we're rushing for the next one. We're not even up to date ourselves, but we want something better and shinier and newer. And, you know, for me, the launch of the iPhone X was one of these moments where so many technologists were slamming it. It's really one of the best pieces of technology that have been brought out. And people were disappointed. It just was not enough for them. Having a, you know, I, I want to say nearly perfect device was just not good enough. They wanted a transformation again. And we, we need to like kind of carve our enthusiasm. Like she says, you know, go back to the basics, see what we've done wrong, fix it, and then try to, you know, run forward or even walk. There's plenty of examples of bad design around now, whether it's at a micro scale. So, for example, I'm finding that I have a, um, I don't know what you call it, a dongle in my hand right now that is like a USB 3 converter because on my Mac, my new back MacBook Pro, there's no USB port. So I have to have this mm. extra thing and it doesn't, it doesn't seal to the, to the, to the laptop. Right. So I put it in and every so often it just sort of wiggles its way out because it doesn't butt up. You know, and now that's the most, this is, this is the most minute example of this that I could find in my vicinity mm -hmm. right now, but I could go into a more extreme version. So it could be, um, I'll give you a big one in Melbourne, the public transport system and the roads here are, you know, constantly under, under review. I, I've, I've been living away from Melbourne for the last two years and the road work that was started before I left is still going. So, you know, we're really in a in a pickle at the moment because the things that have been done before are now hindering the things that we can do in the future. And um, that's where I think designers, well, are never going to be out of a job, quite frankly. <laughs> so forget about the machines because we're going to be fixing things for a long time. That's really where the area of focus can be right now so that we can make sure that you know, it may not be us who get to design augmented humanity. Yeah. And I, that's, a, that's a real reality, you know. Um, it may not be this generation of designers who get to do that. It may be a future generation. So my personal view is I want to do whatever I can to make sure that the legacy I leave behind with what I design is going to ensure that the future is is built on a really strong foundation. Yeah, yeah I, I want to go back a, a little bit to what you were talking about, because I think it's an important point. And it's not always up to designers. Well, it's typically not up to designers what product we actually end up making or why. Um, but we have a lot of say, hopefully, in good product design. But it sounds like, and this may sound very simplistic, but it sounds like the question that we should be asking is not, how could we use AR to make our product more interesting, right? But the question goes back to what we should always be asking, which is how do we meet the needs of our users and how do we delight our users? Exactly. I mean, so are we integrating AR because, you know, that's the and the client wants it or is it really something that can be a tool to enhance the usability or the experience of the user and this is the big question and you now when I go and give talks to, to digital agencies they really don't like me all the time 
because I tell them, you know, you can say no to the client and explain to them that if you force such a technology or any technology upon the user and there's no value to the user, you not only fail to create a good experience, but you actually manage to create a negative experience that hinders it. So yeah, I think it's very much about appropriation and really finding value. And if there is no value, you know, put it in the shelf and and come back to it when there will be value. And it's not to say that this is not the time to do AR, but um, the expectation that we have from AR and from any emerging technology and, and the way that, you know, blockchain and AI is being pushed into every field. You know, there is no company that doesn't have bots replying to its social media in some form. And the question is, you know, is it what you want to do? Is it appropriate to your brand? Is it appropriate to your the service you're trying to create? Or are you just doing it because your CTO, you know, gets, sorry, hard on by saying to his friends that he's using that? Well, and Galit, this goes back to something that I wanted to ask you about in your book. You propose a set of 12 AR design principles, which yes. I'll list in the show notes. Yeah. So three examples, uh, and this is just three of the 12, are design with intent, design for humans, and remove tech silos by talking to users, which I think all of which could be said for any existing technology product, right? These are great values for any digital product team to live by. So my question is, how are these different for augmented reality than plain old reality that we're designing for today? Because augmented reality is really something that is much more than technology in my mind. It represents a new platform that will embed technology directly into our physical environment. And that means that anyone that harnesses it and uses it has a much higher potential in nudging user behaviors and compromising their perception of reality. So these rules are true for every technology, but when we talk about augmented reality, we're touching reality. We're hacking somebody's reality, the perception of identity, their social interaction, their interaction with the environment. This is heavy duty stuff. This is not something to be taken lightly. And if somebody wants to use it in a mischief or negative way, they'll do it and they'll be, it will be very hard to stop them. But we can't pretend to, to be ignorant about what technology does anymore. And we should not implement emerging technology with such ignorance or with false promises. This is where I'm saying, you know, we should pace ourselves, like take a step back, have a deep look into what we're doing and why we're doing. And it's not to say that we stop doing it altogether, but we should do it with intent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and think about why. I want to add two things to this as well. So um, I, I want to admit something that uh, a friend of mine pointed out to me yesterday, which I was both, I was a little bit shocked by, but I, I've had time to process it now. And, and it, it, it was quite interesting. I think that, um, you know, when it comes to, to these types of topics, I think that I speak from a, a very privileged position. Often designers, particularly UX designers are neck deep in just dealing with trying to convince a client that they need to think about you know, doing a bit of research. This this is far, far, far more mm. forward than than that point. And so that's it's really important to to think about 
where designers are now in the context of things. Um, and the second, the second thing to add to this is that it's it's great to talk about it, but there's a little bit of hypernormalization of simplicity going on here. Mm-hmm. What I mean by that is that we tend to hypernormalize these things. Oh yeah, AR so easy, not easy. And we we can speak. <laughs> Have you ex- heard somebody actually say it's easy? <laughs> no, yes. but it's, it's not. Well, oh, yeah, it, just you know, add AR to it. I had I have yeah. these requests all the time. I think she you had it as well, right? We we had that experience. Just we, add some AR have, to it. We have had this experience, and and I mean, I'm sure that the listeners can can appreciate what it's like when someone walks into their project and says, "Hey, can you just you know splash a little bit of UX on this?" Uh, here's a bit of glitter (laughs) yay Uh, it doesn't work like that here's a fun spec like here's a fun way to think about this speculatively right so think about okay so there's floating around our planet there is tons and tons of space junk because we've sent so much shit up there right yeah if we if we fast forward a little bit Mm -hmm. further so from the from the beginning of the internet, right? There was no websites at one point, and now there's so many websites that that you can't even get a domain name anymore. I don't even think my own name is available, um, which is weird. Uh, so think fast forward another, let's say, ten years into the future. Imagine how much augmented junk there could be floating around around us that we can't, we may not even be able to see, or you know, for whatever for whatever reason that happens there's a glitch and you get to see some of it at some point and there's just all this stuff around us. You know, um, I think that that maintenance um, is is incredibly important, mm. you know, when we think about the future impact that these things might have. There's some great videos if you YouTube kids on devices, right? It's hilarious. You know, these little kids trying to, to you know, do everything you would do on a device on non-digital things like on magazines, right? Trying to swipe and so forth. Hilarious. Um, <laughs> imagine if that's the effect of a physical device now, what could be the effect of a non-physical augmented piece in the future? It, these are the types of speculative design that we need to be thinking about in our practices. Yeah. So you both have come from multidisciplinary backgrounds. Chi, I I know you've worked with a wide variety of specialties within the design discipline, service design, interaction design, industrial design, and motion design are just a few that you list on LinkedIn. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Is there a shift in soft or hard skills that is going to be needed for designers to, as they, as designers are moving into this space, or as this space maybe is moving into what we are doing, is there a kind of mental shift or different emotional skills that is required? Or is this just a new technology that we apply our existing design principles to? I like to talk about the difference between UX and experience design. Um, UX, for all of its best intentions, when it became a thing, was more than this. But what it has come to represent today in 2018 is really the detailed design of digital products. That's what we're really referring to. Experience design is something else entirely. So if we're thinking about what experience design is, it's not a discipline in itself, but rather a a mindset. So designing for experiences really needs to be something you think about upfront rather than 
something that you think about later. You have to go into the design process thinking about experience. If you go into the design process thinking about that, putting humans first, not worrying about the technology, putting technology last, you can still apply all of the multiple arrays of design principles that exist, you know, from from all all corners of the design sphere, whether it be like me, Dita Ram's principles for good design, or um, you know, um, you know, basic visual design principles. It doesn't really it doesn't really matter. Figuring out what is needed for whatever the context is that you're designing within when you're thinking about the experience that is ultimately going to be created as a result of what you do is is hugely important because the thing about experience design is that whether you want to think about it or not, it's going to be there anyway. Everything that we create has an experience attached to it at some level. And if we don't start thinking about that in every aspect of what we do, we're going to keep hitting the walls that we keep hitting where the design doesn't live up to our expectations. I think what will happen is that we'll have to contextualize the discipline that we're in into the ecosystem of of design disciplines as a whole. And specifically, if I refer to digital designers versus physical designers, um, it's not that digital designers will have to necessarily have skills of physical design, but they will have to contextualize what they're making to be applied within a physical space. So we will have hybrid um, professions, in my mind, that sit in between or bridge the digital and physical and marry them. Uh, But what is very certain is that both spatial designers and online or digital designers will have to understand better the other disciplines. And I think it's really interesting um, to be in that place uh, because in a weird way, I think we really moved into hyper-spatialized space. I sat with a client a few months ago and there were seven different agencies on the table and each one awesome and and perfectly capable to do what it does, but each one specializes not just on the experience, the type of experience, but a fragment of it. So one online, one social only, one on trade, you know, it was really mind boggling that you need all these people around the table and each one is speaking its own language. And we're gonna need to have a much better flow between disciplines uh, in order to have successful experiences done in the future. And it's super important to also think about, like the most important thing I personally think is context. So if you're designing for a bank, that's one context. If you're designing for a hospital, that's a completely different context. And on top of, you know, thinking about what, let's say, traditionally trained designers need to have, um, we also need to think about the skills that people who are specialists in whatever field they are in need to have. So um, the way I like to think about it is that the role of the designer, I mean, there's a lot of talk about the role of designers being the facilitator, but I also think that perhaps the role of the designer will become the muse. So Mm. we are there to inspire and to help others who are not necessarily traditional designers in a sense, but are certainly involved in the design process to understand how to maximize all of the fantastic things that, that, um, that 
that are in the world of design, um, good mm. or bad. But, um, you know, understanding it's very hard for someone outside of that context to under, understand the history of design and all of the things that have led to us being where we are now. Um, I'll give you an example. So my mum is a nurse and she's currently doing a service design course. That's really, I think that's cute. I'm just giving her a little clap. Yeah, um, that's like, awesome. That's lovely. <laughs> um, so, so, and she's really loving it. But what she really is interested in is how to help make things better very specifically for nurses so in that context, it's a very it's very different to other types of contexts that we think about when we think about you know design and UX and so on, um, you know because it, it could be that it's it's often digitally very digitally heavy, but in in mum's context there is a digital component because they often use systems and and machines and processes and things that require there to be that digital component, but at the same time, vast majority of what she would be dealing with is actually the human interactions that people have with one another in, you know, in hospitals and so forth. So, you know, um, the way that that this evolves really is going to be heavily related to context as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's spatial application context, it's cultural context, it's cross-disciplinary context that needs to be considered more. I just, uh, you know, I, I, this conversation has been so fascinating, and I, um, I, I had a feeling this could probably go twice as long. <laughs> we we may have to have a part two. Yeah, we tend to do that. We started sure. talking. We started talking a few months ago, and we've been on, on each other's feet <laughs> morning and evening. She's the first thing and the last thing I speak to. Oh, that's, that's more time difference, but also a preference. <laughs> well, I feel especially honored then to have been able to take part in your conversation because um, uh, and and very grateful that you're making your conversation um, available to a much wider audience, because I think it's something that all of us in experience design should be thinking about if we haven't been having these conversations already. And I, I do have enough questions to probably do a part two. So. <laughs> um, Are we talking part two or trilogy, really? Oh. Okay, trilogy. <laughs> we could just make it an ongoing series. Again, I would thank you guys so much. She and Galit, it's been super fun talking with you. Thank, thank you. you for having us. You can find the show notes for this episode and other episodes at uxcake.co and connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And as always, thank you for joining me for another slice of UX cake. And I'm looking forward to talking to you again next week.